All right, guys, we're going to continue in our series in the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, grab them. John chapter 1 will be in verses 6 through 13 uh, this morning as we continue to look at the unexpected Jesus. When I was 18 years old, uh, you still don't get that much mail, you know, to you. And I remember one day getting mail. I was like, for me? Right? And so like, what did they send me? Right? And so I'm excited. I'm going to go. And, and I go and I rip it open. Like, what is this? And it's, you have jury duty. It's like, what? <laughs> now, now, thankfully, I didn't end up having to go, but I was so bummed. I'm like, uh, no one gets excited about jury duty. Jury duty is so bad that in the movie The Grinch, when he's putting mail in people's boxes, he's like, you know, jury duty, jury duty, hate mail, right? <laughs> and so no one wants jury duty, unless... Maybe it was this big case that was on the news or this horrible person did some horrible thing and you could be a part of, you know, bringing justice down. You know, maybe you could be into that. Um, it's some big high profile thing, but, you know, it's probably not going to be that. Or maybe you could go and you'd be on the jury and you'd be like the guy from, what was that movie, 12 Angry Men? Is that it? Where you'd be the one who stood against the other 11 and convinced them they were wrong and you would turn the face, the fate of this man and, and maybe that'd be cool to go be on that jury, right? The reality is every one of us are on a jury of sorts right now. The question of the court is who is Jesus and what will you do with him? And you must decide for yourself what you are going to do with Jesus. You can hear the arguments, you can see the evidence, but you are the jury and you must decide. But what you must realize is that being on this jury, you are not casting a verdict that affects Jesus. You are not sentencing him, but rather it's quite the opposite. You see, just as the voice of the jury can alter a man's fate for the rest of his life, so your decision about who Jesus is will define you from now and through eternity. So judge well. John chapter 1, verse 6. John writes, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, the very words of God, and he says this, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. See, before John was even conceived, John, you know him as the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, the guy in the wilderness with dressed in sheep or uh, camel skins and eating locusts and honey and weird stuff. Before he was even conceived, he had a mission. One mission that God had sent him for one task to be a witness to Jesus. 
See, if we are sitting in the jury box, it makes sense that we are to hear from witnesses, that we should hear the claims of others on who exactly Jesus is, and that was John's purpose. We stand in the jury to figure out who this Jesus is, and John the Baptist comes before to announce the arrival of this king to be a witness and to point to the light. He comes and he takes the witness stand so that he can plead and point and direct your gaze at the light of the world who can deliver you. But I want you to notice John's words. John goes to great lengths here and also later in the chapter to take the attention, to take the focus off of himself and onto Jesus. He says, I am not the light, but come to bear witness about the light. John doesn't want the attention on him. He knows he is no one. He is merely an arrow pointing to the one. He wants people to behold Christ, not him. The famous preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, you may have heard of him, once talked about people who would share their testimonies with him. And he said he would always hear kind of one of two types of testimonies. And one gave him great pause and one encouraged his soul. The first, he would hear long stories. People would come to him and tell them, uh, tell them about their story, how they came to faith. And it would go something like this. You know, well, I've been in church my whole life. And, you know, I just knew it was my time. And so I went forward on such and such a day and and I was baptized and I have been following Jesus and I I prayed the prayer and, and now I teach Sunday school and now I do this and I, 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 I. And he said those stories gave him great pause and worry. But then he said he would hear stories like this. You know, I wanted nothing to do with God. I knew I was nothing but a wretched person, but God's mercy was good and sweet and relentless. And no matter how many times I ran, he kept coming after me. And he just got a hold of my heart and wouldn't let go. He showed me what he did on the cross, and I've never known a love like that. And he changed me and completely delivered me. You see, you can have a testimony that is mostly about how great you are, how awesome you are, and how lucky God is to have you. Or you can have a story, a testimony that is all about Jesus and how he has rescued you. And you can't help but talk about him. And here's the question to ask yourself. Who is the hero of your story? Who is the hero of your testimony? Is it you or is it Jesus? John doesn't want or care if anyone notices him. He wants people to not notice him and to notice Jesus. His life's mission is for others to see the same light that he has seen changed his life and he wants it to change other people's life. Don't look at me, look at the one who is coming. Did you know that if you are a follower of Christ, that you have moved out of the jury box because you've made your decision and you have moved to the witness stand? You have made your judgment about who Christ is. You've believed in him. You follow him. But now it is your job, just like John's, to stand at the witness stand to proclaim and point to Jesus. It is your job to help others clearly see the light and help them move out of the jury box into the light. You see, like John, every follower of Jesus in this room is a witness. And, you know, I think about, uh, you know, it's almost like 90% of the television shows on TV are either about doctors or like cops or lawyers. I don't know why that is. But there's all these cop and lawyer shows, right? 
And um, they're always go to trial for some reason. And there's always this big discussion about who they're going to put on the witness stand, right? And they'll be like, you know, we can't put this guy up because the jury will never believe him. Even though he'll say all the right things, the jury will never believe him or, or you know, not a, not, he's crazy or not pretty enough or something. They have some reason why they don't want to put him up there. So they're, who are we going to put on the stand? Who can convince the jury of the truth? And they end up putting this person on, and it's this big spectacle, a big argument, and, and the, the lawyer gives this big argument, and you hear from the witness, and they cry, and they, they plead, and they tell you why what their story is true, and it's compelling. But you know, they don't put on the guy who's shy. They don't put on the witness stand the guy who's shy or uncertain or who might crack under pressure. They put up the person who they know is going to convince the jury. And as followers of Jesus, whether you like it or not, you are on the witness stand. And every day of your life, when you go to work or when you're at home with your kids or when you go to the park or when you're with your friends, the question that you must answer is not, are you going to be a witness today? The question you must answer is, are you going to be a good witness today? Because you are one, whether you realize it or not. And I'm not talking about just how you live in front of other people. Because here's the thing. You can be the sweetest coworker. You can be the kindest friend. You might be the person who never cusses at work even when it's a rough day. And everyone else is saying bad words. But if you do all those things, if you're kind and sweet and don't have a dirty mouth, that's not pointing anyone to Jesus. They're just going to think, oh, yes, yeah, so-and-so is so sweet, so kind. And they don't say any bad words. If you're going to be like John and be a witness for Christ, you must speak. You must tell people how Jesus has changed your life. You must tell them about a bloody cross on behalf of sinners and an empty tomb. You must tell them that Jesus is king and that they should follow him because he is worthy. How are you pointing to Jesus in your life? How are you a witness to who Jesus is and what he has done? I want you to reimagine this verse for a moment and read it this way. You see, there was a man or a woman sent from God whose name was, enter your name. There was a man or a woman sent from God whose name was, who came to bear witness about the light to your workplace and to your home and to the grocery store and beyond. You were sent to be a witness. See, we need to be a witness because as verse 9 says, the true light which gives light to everyone. Notice that. Let's just stop there for a minute. You need to be a witness because this light has come to every or come for everyone. Do you know that the gospel of Jesus is for everyone? This light that defeats darkness is for everyone. It is not simply for people who like religious things. It is not just for good people. Delight doesn't just come for smart people. It doesn't just come for Republican or Democrats. It doesn't come for people who have made fewer mistakes than everyone else. It doesn't come for poor people or just rich people. It doesn't come for just white people or just brown people. It doesn't come for just young people or just old people. It doesn't come for those with nice clothes or shabby clothes. The light comes for everyone. And often people think or, or they, they say to me or they think in their own mind, 
I have missed my chance. I've waited too long. I've missed my opportunity to come to the light, to come to Jesus. I've wasted too much of my life. I'm too far gone. But that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because you are created in the image of God. And if there is breath in your lungs, you can still make Jesus your Lord. And you can come to the light. You see, the light comes for everyone, but here is the sad part and the difficult part as we continue to read. Though the light has come for everyone, most people choose to live in darkness. Notice verse 10. He, that is the light, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, right? Because Jesus is creator. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. We moved here almost exactly a year ago, so that's fun. And when we moved here, Tyler, right here, Tyler in the yellow shirt, what up, Tyler? Tyler was our realtor, and Tyler took us around to all kinds of houses, and we're probably getting annoyed with us because, no, that's not the right one, no, that's not the right one. So we were were driving all around looking at all kinds of houses, and every time we'd go in, Tyler would go in, and he'd turn on the lights, and he'd go into a room and turn on this light and uh, show us the room. But you know what he never did? He never went in and turned on the light and said, okay, guys, this room right here, this little switch, when you flip that up, this light comes on, and it creates light in the whole room so that you can see. He didn't have to do that because we know what a light switch is and we know when he hit it, we saw the light, right? We knew what he was doing. It was obvious. When the sun is shining, everyone knows the sun is out. But who is unconscious of of that fact? Who is it that needs pointing out that the light has been turned on? Who needs someone to tell them that the light is on, that the sun is out? I will tell you who. It is the blind. If you cannot see, you do not know that the light is here. And it is a tragic reality that God has to send John the Baptist into the world to show people the light or show people what should be plainly obvious to them. That the creator of the world is here. We should have known him, should have seen him, should have been ready for him. But we don't see him. We rejected him because we were spiritually blind. And he came into the world and the world did not know him. We miss what is right plainly in front of our face. The creator of the world entered history and people missed it. It was staring them in the face and they missed it. And you know, maybe, maybe we give the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, maybe we give them a slight pass because they didn't know any better. They weren't expecting it. We don't really give them a pass, but maybe. But the Jews, that is, who were once God's chosen people, for thousands of years have been waiting and waiting and waiting for the Messiah to come, the one who would rescue them from sin, and he finally came. The wait was over. They should have celebrated, should have welcomed him in with open arms, but not only did God's people miss him, not only did they not realize who he was, they rejected him and sent him to his death. You see, every single person is born naturally, spiritually blind and does not see the light. Every person born is born with the posture of rejection and hostility toward God. Everyone is born alienated from God and blind to the things of God. 
Why is that? Why do people reject the truth that is so obvious in front of their face? Why do our loved ones, why do people not believe? Sometimes people say it's, it's because of science, right? This cop-out answer, oh, science has disproved God, and so I can't believe. Or others, others say, well, I can't believe because I can't believe in a God who would allow so much suffering or pain in the world or in my life. People come with all kinds of reasons for why they uh, can't believe, but John, I think, tells us exactly what the reason is. He expands on this idea in chapter 3. And here's what he says in chapter 3, verse 19. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. You know why people don't believe? People don't believe because people like to stay in darkness because in the darkness they feel safe. When you are in the darkness, you are the master of your own domain. You can do what you want. You can think what you want. You can live however you want. In the darkness, no one knows the things that you do. No one knows the things that you think and there is no one telling you to change. In the darkness, you are Lord. But to come to the light means all of your regrets and secret sins, all of the things you want hidden come to the surface and you've got to deal with them and you've got to confess them to God. Not only that, but you will change. You will have to fight to turn away from the darkness that you used to love and begin to walk into the light. Darkness is easy. Coming to the light is hard. It's easy to live in darkness. No wonder Jesus said that wide is the gate that leads to destruction and narrow is the gate that leads to life. It's not hard because you've got to do all of this work to make it, to earn your way to heaven. That's not it. It's hard because you naturally love the darkness and you don't want to come to the light because you don't want anyone to know about all of your junk. Spiritual blindness affects everyone. No matter how religious of a family you were born into, every person is born spiritually blind to the things of God, even Israel, the chosen people of God at one time. The curse of sin has so marred our hearts that we would not recognize a savior or our need for one if it smacked us in the face. So what are we to do? If John has come into the world to be the light, to, po to, to point to the light, and we're supposed to see it, the creator's coming to the world, he's pointing to the light, and we're supposed to take him as our savior, but we're blind and can't see the light, what are we supposed to do? How is there hope? Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How do you come to the light? How do you receive Christ? Well, first, it's simple. You believe in his name. You believe in his name. Salvation is yours the moment you believe in his name. But here's the hard question. How are you to believe in him that you cannot see? How are you to believe into the light of which you are spiritually blind to? How is it that you leave the darkness that you love and want to stay in to move into the light? How do we do that? How does that happen? Well, the text tells us that you must be born again. You, have, you must have new birth. 
You see, if your natural birth resulted in blindness to the things of God, if your natural birth resulted in a heart that is hostile to the things of God, that means the only way you will change, the only way you will see, the only way you will come to the light and leave the darkness is to have new birth. And so how does that happen? A couple ways it doesn't happen. Verse 13. This new birth says it is not of blood. They were born not of blood. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be born not of blood? It means that you do not get new birth because of your bloodline. You do not get new eyes because your mom and dad have new eyes. You are not a child of God because you come to church, because your family brings you to church. You are not a child of God because your parents are. Salvation is not a gene that is passed on to you from your parents. You do not belong to Christ simply because those in your family belong to Christ. But then John continues and he says that this new birth is not from the will of flesh nor the will of man. It's not of the will of the flesh nor the will of man. What's he saying? He's saying just as you could not cause your physical birth, so it stands you cannot cause your spiritual birth. You could not cause your physical birth. Your parents did that. In the same way, you cannot cause your spiritual birth. God must do that. You cannot will yourself through the flesh to want the things of God. That is not within you because you're spiritually blind. You see, but here's what we often do. We often think we can We often think we can will people into salvation. And here's how I've seen this happen so many tragic times. Like like we'll we'll do some event, right? We'll have a VBS or a camp or or, or some revival service and and we'll, we'll drum it up. We'll make it real emotional. We'll make it really intense and we'll cry and, and, and we'll do all these things and we'll plead with people and we'll have 30 kids up here. Hey kids, who wants to go to heaven? Who doesn't want to burn forever? Fill up the tank, y'all. Let's put them in there. There's no one-on-one conversation. There's no, hey, do you understand you're a sinner? Do you understand Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross, that he rose from that? Do you understand those things? Do you believe those things? Do you want to turn from sin? Do you want to make him Lord? Do you want to live your life for him? Do you want to do those things? No, no, no. Just, it's all about numbers. Let's, let's just will them in. And if they walk the aisle or whatever, and then we'll get them up there. We'll fill the tank and we'll dunk them. How many people have we put in that water that are going to bust hell wide open? See, I've far too often had to deal with the aftermath. When adult after adult and youth after youth come to me and say, Brent, I was baptized when I was eight years old or six years old because it was a VBS and everybody else was doing it and I wanted to do it too. Or, or you know, my parents really wanted me to do it. They really pushed me and so I did it, but I didn't really understand. But now I do. I've had to deal. I've had, I've had that conversation a thousand times, it seems. Well, I was at this event or that event, and, and, and I just did it because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Not because they had new birth, not because their eyes were open, but because it's what I was supposed to do. It's what all the other kids are doing, and I just wanted to do it too. I didn't want to go to hell. Sounds terrible. You see, we cannot will cannot force anyone to come to Christ. You cannot save anyone. We can plead with them. You can try to trick them. We can try to manipulate them. We can dunk a bunch of people, but we can't give them new birth. 
but we know the one who can. Do you know the one who can give sight to blind eyes? The one who can lead you out of darkness into light. Do you know the one who can give new birth? It ain't me and it ain't you. It is the one who was despised and rejected by men, a man who was put to death and yet was raised from the dead, who holds the keys of death in his hands. He is the only one who can grant life. And it was Jesus, just as like when Jesus went and found the blind man and gave him sight, so does he come to us and give us sight so that we might see him and believe. He gives us new eyes. He leads us into the light. He gives us new birth. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. My question for you this morning is, has he opened your eyes? Do you see him? Do you know that you need a savior? Do you want to believe in his name? See, if you're here right now, you know if I'm talking to you. You know because your heart has sped up a little bit. You know because every possible rationale and reason of why you don't need to do that is coming into your head right now. You know deep down that he has begun to open your eyes and you've begun to see him and you know you want to walk out of the darkness into the light no matter how scary it is. But take the step into the light because you won't regret it. Come and believe in his name and he will give you the right to become a child of God. Right now, you sit in the jury box. You've heard the witnesses. You've heard the evidence. You've, you know who this Jesus is, and the question is, what will you decide to do with him? Will you realize that he is Lord? Will you reject him? The only thing you can't do is nothing. That's the great lie. The great lie is that there's a third option that I don't, I don't necessarily, love, I'm all about Jesus, but I don't reject him either. I'm somewhere in the middle. You know, I'm just kind of feeling it out. I'm just kind of doing my thing. He's either the most important thing or he's not important at all and there's no in between. And the question is, do you have eyes to see him? Do you see the light and do you want to come and be changed and have a new life? Do you remember that movie, A Few Good Men? Tom Cruise is the lawyer, and he's standing there, and he is interviewing and arguing this, with this witness who's like some general in the army or something. And Tom Cruise looks at him, and he says, tell me the truth. And he's all passionate and excited, and your heart's thumping. And what does that general say to him? You can't handle the truth. Can you handle the truth? This morning, can you handle the truth that you are in darkness and in your sin and there's no amount of good things that you can do to make up for it, but that the only thing that you can do is come 
and give yourself to Jesus and he will forgive you. He will make you righteous. He will make you new. He will grant you these things by his grace, not because you deserve it, not because you're good, not because you're rich, not because you got nice clothes on, not because you're a church religious person, but because you come, bow your knee and say, he's my Lord now. If you do that, he will make you clean and make you new. And my question is, can you handle that truth that you're a sinner and, there's, and you were blind and you needed him to rescue you? This morning, we're going to sing a song. And if you're here and you know you don't belong to him but want to because he's opened your eyes, I'm going to stand right here. Just come say, Brent, he's opened my eyes. Brent, I see him. I want to... I wanna, I want to be saved. I want to know Jesus and let me help you do that. There's going to be some men in the corners that can help you do that too. But let me say one last thing. If you are a follower of Jesus in here and, and, and you, you know you're a follower of Jesus, you're good. Well, here's my challenge to you. You can't save anybody. You can't will anyone to be saved, but you are a witness. At work, in front of your kids, to your friends. My question is, what kind of witness are you? Are you the witness who takes the stand and doesn't say anything, but wants to convince people by how good of a person you are? Or are you the witness who takes the stance and says, look at my Jesus? Who is the hero of your story? Is it you? Or is it the light of the world that comes to scatter the darkness? And are you pointing to the hero of your story? If he's not your hero, you can make him that this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come to